the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Billy, with me as usual, my lovely co-host, Nani Oxford. Hello, everybody. The sun is out. I stopped believing in the sun and it appeared. What do you know? More weather conversation. Lovely. <laughs> you gotta start with the weather. It's a Canadian thing to do. No mention of the fact that it's actually an extremely busy re- week for releases, Nadia? Uh, it's that, too. But it's, it's a, it, you have to understand, like, it's been like... Winter returned for like two weeks, and everyone was very pissed off about it. And now it looks like spring might be coming back, and uh, I feel like we should probably sacrifice something to a fertility god before it slips away from us. <laughs> well, I was playing God of War last night. Oh, this game is not an RPG, no. but it has RPG elements. Yes, I am. I didn't get to bust it out yet because I was finishing up Minokuni 2. So I'll be playing some God of War over the weekend and some Yakuza yeah. 6, I hope. Yeah, you finished Nino Kuni 2 right before this podcast. I did, and like 15 minutes before. <laughs> now is as good a time as any for a spoilerific wrap-up podcast yes. about its ending, in which yes. we talk about how we just deliver our closing thoughts on the, on the RPG and how we felt, thought about it in general. Um, so we'll be talking about that. It'll be tied. It'll tie into my, my editorial, which you should go read on the site. Uh, Nino Kuni two could have been so much better. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, which uh, you got maybe a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, but this week I've been playing an RPG that came out earlier this month mm-hmm. or, or earlier this year, not this month. And that was Monster Hunter World. I got back into it in a big way, Nadia. Yeah, I've I've seen you on your uh, your on the PS4 profile. They tattle on you. Yeah, I know. They're telling you everybody what I'm playing. It's kind of scary, actually. <laughs> you can disable that, but I'm too lazy. Yeah. Well, I disabled the trophies because I don't want people to know like uh, what my trophy count is, but because it's not, it's kind of embarrassing actually, but, uh, monster hunter world. Um, I'm finally up to like hunter rank 29. I'm finally, I'm on this in order to get to hunter rank 30, you have to complete a mission where you fight two tempered basil juices. Wow. And tempered is a stronger, more powerful version of a monster. Is that the purple version you were talking about last week? The purple version, okay, yes. Purple tempered. Cool, like And uh, basil juices, they... I, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's kind of weird. But they fly around. They're, they're the monster who you'll be fighting a, a monster, and then all of a sudden a basil juice will show up and start bombing you. Oh, getting up in your business? <laughs> yeah, like it'll just show up, and it's flying overhead and dropping these... St- these skin flakes, I guess you could say, Ew. that or these pods that explode. Ew. Yeah, it's it's not great. So you have to be really careful about getting up close and personal in its business because mm-hmm. if you do, uh, you'll just have explosions in your face, and it's not great. <laughs> wow, natural defenses, nature's nature's way of saying go away. Yeah, you got to fight two of them. Oh boy! So of course there are explosions everywhere. Uh huh. How did your uh, PlayStation Four handle it? Oh, just fine. I'm playing on a PS4 Pro, oh, so it's go. not. I'm not seeing any frame rate drops or anything like that. I finally got um, 
I have a pretty good armor set right now. I finally completed my quest to get the Extermination's Edge, which is the upgraded Narragagante Sword. And that involved, and this is such an annoying thing in Monster Hunter World, you have to get these gems, uh-huh. which are kind of rare drops, very rare drops, in right. fact. And often you'll end up in a bottleneck situation where you have everything you need except for uh, that one yes, item. yes. So you're constantly doing investigations or you're just fighting them and praying that you somehow manage to get it from either carving it or mm-hmm. just as a random drop. And with some monsters, it's like, I have three Narragagante gems. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, great. Yay. <laughs> but with other stuff, it's like, yeah, uh, I need to get at least two Rathalos gems. And I haven't seen hide nor hair of those yet. Uh-huh. And I'm having a hard time getting investigations for them. So, wonderful. It's going to be, I don't know if I have the energy to keep farming these things, praying that a one particular gem ends up dropping. It's funny, on the uh, flagship podcast, we were talking about um, how uh, Mike was saying how he can't believe these people who fight these elder dragons and get this rare armor or these rare weapons and just give them to their cat. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, my cat has Narragagante stuff because I have so much Narragagante stuff. And also it looks really cute with its little glowing eyes and terrifying claws that rip and tear. But I... Uh, Monster Hunter World is, on the one hand, I'm a, kind of addicted to it, Just and I want to keep going back to it, uh, especially this past week. I've been playing it pretty much every night yeah. uh, in the run-up to God of War, and now I'm just like looking at it, I'm like, I want to play you, but I don't have a reason to. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling very much. I, once we get into talking about Nino Kuni too, I guess we'll talk a little bit about that feeling, which is hitting <laughs> me pretty hard. Uh, with with Monster Hunter World, it's grinding for the sake of grinding. Right. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm finding these monsters because, uh, and I'm going to get this armor because, and I mean, I guess getting better loot is a decent end in of itself. Like, I could, it's fun to experiment with builds. It's fun to yeah. try and get the... Like I was going, okay, well, I've got this armor set, but this armor set might be better. And I just have to grind a whole bunch of Rothalos and then I will have that. And, oh, look, uh, I I beat the Devil Joe earlier this week. Oh, congratulations. And the Devil Joe is actually a pretty rad uh, monster. Yeah, I've seen videos of him being pursued. It's pretty cool. Super apex predator that just, you know, the, the great whatevers uh, that you fight, the very first monster you fight in the game? Yes. Great Jagras. Yeah. The the giant the giant iguana. Yeah. Uh Devil Joes just eat them. <laughs> and that's kind like, of funny. Like they'll be running around and a Devil Joe will just show up and go, How? Yeah, I know. And it'll just run around carrying the thing in its lit in its mouth. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty funny. That is so. pretty funny. Uh, and Devil Joe is like, um, it's if you're just starting Monster Hunter World now, Devil Joe will just show up. Ooh. Which uh, isn't great if you're not at a level that you can actually fight it. No, but sometimes the thing I like about Monster Hunter World, too, is that if you mind your own business, uh, usually the Apex Predators won't bother with you. And I say usually, but hang back. Oh, I had a fight. I had a fight the other day. I think yesterday, actually. I was fighting a Rathalos, which is a dragon with a poison tail. And then a Rathian showed up, and that was another dragon with a poison tail. And the Rathian would not leave the friggin' Rathalos alone. They would just fight, fight, and fight. They were chasing <laughs> each other all over the map. And I'm like, okay, fine. But also go away, Rathian. You're, like, making things kind of harder on me. Isn't the... And uh, then... 
And then in the middle of this fight, an Anjanath, the big T-Rex guy, shows up too. And so it's like, oh, okay, wow, this is, like, insane. They had a party. Yeah, they had a party, but... But uh, isn't the Rathian, like, a female Rathalos, so maybe they had something Mm -hmm. else on their mind? Maybe. I don't know. There's the... There's the Azure Rathalos, and then there's the, Rath- the pink Rathian. So. Right. Yeah, so maybe they are male and female. I don't know. I don't know my Monster Hunter bestiary. But that's the interesting part of it, reading up on all the biological like you know, nuances of mm. each monster and learning all about them and their anatomy and their, their habits. Maybe, yeah. And being there's a new event. <clears throat> a new event just launched, and it's a new siege uh, type thing. And the, what, it, what it is is you have this giant, fat-ass elder dragon with gold armor and a yeah, gold tail really cool. going around a cave system and basically you're trying to hit it with cannons you're trying to break stuff off of it and you're trying to track it enough that you can access the next area and then uh-huh. keep chasing it and then you can actually fight it for a bit and then if you manage to beat this uh then you can get into like the third area and if you actually manage to kill it uh you get what's really interesting is that you get uh, randomized weapons, right. which makes this particular event, I think, Monster Hunter one of Monster Hunter World's first kind of true repeatables, uh-huh. where you you can get randomized stuff and you can just keep doing this uh, particular quest over and over again. The problem is, I find that quest a little boring. Yeah, it sounds a little bit boring. Uh, I also saw, I feel a little bit bad for this dragon who kind of just popped in, it's like, "Hey guys," and like, "Wow, did you come to the wrong neighborhood, buddy?" Yeah, it's not even messing with you. You're just, like, going after it. And it's also <laughs> confusing on how to actually team up with other players. It's right. like, yeah, yeah, it supports up to 16 players. And I'm like, well, I'm the only one I see in this particular match. <laughs> <laughs> well, get to work, cat. I had no idea how to, like, summon anybody. I just kind of shot cannons at it, managed to get into the second area, was fighting it for a bit, and then it left. And it was like, great, do it again, and 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 again. And it keeps coming back, so that's its own fault, I guess. Yeah, but I just, I don't feel a huge amount of motivation because right. the items that it drops, like I'm looking at the armor, I'm like, well, I got better armor already. Yeah, exactly. And the weapons that it can give me, I guess it could give me good randomized swords, but I already got a pretty excellent sword. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm, you're kind of at that point where you're, where you're really set. Yeah, so I'm looking ahead and I'm like, well, I guess I can take on these tempered dragons unto infinity or something or these... Uh, until like level 50 where you fight a tempered Kirin and your ultimate cool. goal is to get like to hunter rank 100 which wow i don't know why i would do that some people do it but um i mean if you that's just like how you relax and how you chill i mean more power to you but what i wish they did i wish they didn't show their whole hand so mm. early right if you beat all of the monsters by the credits uh-huh you've pretty much seen everything the game really has to offer right it's not like pokemon where you have like secret bosses or Mm -hmm. secret things to unlock or raid level stuff yeah they're updating with new events and everything but it's not the same and so i feel like i'm i'm not grinding toward anything i'm not trying to accomplish anything it's just grinding for the sake of grinding and it's getting it's annoying like i really like this game but I really need to wean myself off it because at this point, it's just pointless. So are you saying that, like, basically the game kind of, by showing its whole hand, you mean, like, basically once the story stuff was done, uh, that's where people generally say, oh, this is where the game begins. You don't you don't feel the same way? No, I don't, actually, because, uh-huh. yeah, I'm, 
there's a there is a challenging aspect. Uh, it's fun to get high level armor and to try and go for mastery right. against these tempered right these tempered versions of the monsters that you've already fought. And it's also kind of cool to fight. You know, you're not just fighting an Azur Drake or a Pink Rathian. You're fighting a Azur Drake and a Pink Rathian. Oh, and also here comes an Anjanath. You got to kill them all. Yeah. And they're all pissed off. Or you have to build, you fight, have to fight multiples of the same monsters. The problem is I've already fought these monsters. Yeah, yeah. Multiple times often. Yeah. And it's just like, so one of the final boss battles in Monster Hunter World are like the Elder Dragons, mm-hmm. right? Well, they're kind of like the Elite Four <laughs> Pokemon. You got these three killer Elder Dragons and then you got the final boss. Right. And that's cool. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Couldn't we have like three more like better elder dragons to fight once you hit like t- once you hit hunter rank thirty like something to look forward to? Right, something that's exactly it. Something to look forward to. You really kind of need that. Yeah, Monster Hunter World doesn't have enough monsters. Like it has actually a fairly small monster stable. Right. Which on the one hand, that's kind of. I mean, they really put a lot of love and care and just attention to detail in mm-hmm. these monsters, but. I don't know. I, I just feel like I've seen everything I need to see, and th- this current event doesn't really spark my interest. And I've got, I've got a pretty boss armor set at this point. And as much as I don't want to, I, I just gotta. I just feel like I need to stop. I need to drag myself away. <laughs> time to time to put it to bed, cat. Until yeah. at least uh, some sort of worthwhile DLC comes, because you know they're not going to leave it alone for a while. I'm really hoping that they announce a really big fat piece of dlc like at e3 yeah um and they're supporting it with like a multitude of free events which get on them there's there's some good stuff in it Uh, yeah i mean there's reason to keep coming back i oh i've put like 90 hours into this game (laughs) there you go i really enjoyed my time with it and yeah the grinding could get a bit to be a bit much i was posting a bunch of simpsons memes um during my attempt to get uh, Narragagante horns, mm-hmm. which really only drop in investigations and have a low chance of dropping if you can break the horns. Right. And I posted the millhouse doing, but we already did it. <laughs> we it did took it seven times. hours, but we <laughs> did it. It's done. It's done. Again and again and again. And again and again and again and again. All right. Anyway, that's uh, the, that's the haps in Monster Hunter World. Um, I'm kind of putting that aside, and I'm picking up Persona Five again. Yeah, I noticed of. you've been playing that a bit. Yeah, I just really want to get through it. I want you to get through it. That'd be nice. Yeah, so that I can actually talk about it. I finally made it into a uh, spoiler alert. Shinjuku. Uh oh! Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, yes. What what month is that? June ish. That's June. Yeah. Saw so, uh, the gay stuff that people were compa- complaining about. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah. As a lesbian, I'm allowed to say the gay stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the gay stuff trademark. Yes, hashtag trademark. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, good old-fashioned gay panic, am I right? Good old pa- oh, God. Come on, Atlas, girl. But I will say there's one gay ca- Well, she's not really gay. She's more of a cross-gesture, I think. Uh, that's Lola. You mean transgender? Transgender. I don't know if... Yeah. yeah, I don't know how she presents, to be honest. You mean the lady who's in the bar? The lady who's the, in the... The reporter? Yeah. Yeah, and she kind of turns it on, so to speak, for, like, uh, her customers, and you could say... But once, like, she's just kind of herself, she just, she's just great. 
Her name's Lala, mm. I think. I supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be a play on Lola. So, mm. but she's great. I really liked her. I like Persona Five a lot. Mm-hmm. This is what I'll say about Persona Five, though, is Persona Four never felt like it dragged too much to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beginning kind of drags a little bit, but I was always super invested in everything that was going on, and it felt like I got a lot more free time. Mm-hmm. to build my social links, mess around in the area, try to find new things in town. And it doesn't feel like Persona 5 gives me space. Yeah, I will say that. As much as I prefer Persona 5 to 4, um, I do mm. feel like, yes, you it doesn't give you quite as much room to breathe. I think maybe because there's so much more to do. And it's kind of my fault, too, because once I've discovered, holy shit, you can fish, that was the end of that. And uh, I'm <laughs> catching all these amazing fish, and it's like, meanwhile, my social link with Makoto is terrible and I'm like oh oh I never got to really I never got to sleep with anyone this sucks yeah I mean I really enjoy when it turns me loose and I'm just going through Tokyo I mean that is a lot of fun Um, I'm constantly shocked by this sense of deja vu as I look at train stops that I actually like passed on a regular basis and the trains are accurate like you, Mm -hmm. you the train you take to Shinjuku is accurate to how it is in real life which makes sense because i mean it's tokyo but still it's yeah kinda... i went on that train yeah ex- no there you go right to, <laughs> i bet uh, that was kind of weird for you huh it was it's just for a couple of stops uh, i mean a train is a train when you come right down to it but uh, yeah. i kind of made the square enix people laugh because i'm like they're like oh we're taking the train to the square enix offices and i'm like are we going on a bullet train <laughs> and they're just <laughs> like uh it wouldn't get time it wouldn't have time to get up to speed nadia if you took a bullet train did you did they pat you on the head gently Yes, they did. Say, oh, Nadia. Yes, they did. I'm very easy to pat on the head. But I think Persona 5 has a much more involved story than Persona 4. Yeah. At the end of the day, Persona 4, it's a tragedy of a small town. It's a murder mystery. There's a lot of great individual arcs going on, but it's not trying to do like trenchant social commentary to the same level no definitely like persona 5 really has an axe to grind with those in power yeah it really does it's like i said on the piece i wrote recently you can see on us gamer uh it's a story about kids versus quote-unquote shitty adults i mean yeah no absolutely and i think to be honest like you can criticize it for its take on lgbt folks and its gay panic yeah. I mean, I think the gay panic is such a minor scene, to be perfectly honest, that I think to blow it out of all proportion is a little silly, though I'm told they make a comeback. Yeah. Goody. Uh, they do, uh, as I recall, but it's not... See, I, I'm not LGBTQ. I can't really say one way or the other, but uh, they do come back. It's not too bad, but uh, mm. I don't really have the right to say what makes people uncomfortable and what doesn't. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mostly rolled my eyes, to be perfectly honest. This is not the first time that Persona's been down this path. No, absolutely not. I suppose uh, gay panic, a little bit of gay panic is better than having an entire character uh, basically have their entire identity be based around gay panic. I'm looking at you, Kanji. Uh, I'm still, sometimes I think back to that whole Kanji thing, and I still get mad because it just, yeah, the whole thing was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not gay, and you didn't have to go down that path, guys. You really didn't. What's the name of the wonder detective from Persona 4? Yeah, which detective? Uh, the, 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 the detective that initially you think is a boy, but actually turns out to be a girl and joins the club. Oh, oh, shoot. I don't remember her name, but... It starts with an N, and I'm totally blanking. She's yes, the one you Naoto. dated. How can yes. I forget? Naoto, I think is yeah, her yeah, name. Yeah, that's a Naoto. Um, where it's like, the game basically goes, Are you transgendered? Ooh. <laughs> Scary. 
Was scary, Maybe you're a trans person, and I was. It, it really presents it in not a great light. No, so. it really doesn't. So perhaps Persona Five's actually a step forward in that regard. Uh, a little bit. Um, how, how you yeah. haven't met. Um, how you haven't gotten past uh, the the first dungeon yet, have you? In what Persona Five? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the dungeon with the with the guy. Right? I don't want to spoil too much, but oh, okay. I'm in the Shinjuku dungeon now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the I'm in that one, one, basically, right? God, you're you're asking me to spoil too sorry, much. Sorry. Okay, I'll say this much. Have you met? Uh, it's the third major dungeon. Oh, uh, okay. So you've met Yusuke. Yeah. Yusuke. Uh, the artist. Which one's Yusuke? <laughs> oh, is that the one with the fox mask? Yeah, that's a uh, fox. Yeah, him. Yeah, he's in the he's in the art museum. Yeah. Okay. So you have you have met him then? Yeah, I like him. He's cool. Yeah, because I know there was a, a lot of uh, controversy about him and the how he wanted uh on to uh to basically paint her naked and after she'd been through the whole episode with the uh the sexual harassment teacher and uh not so much what that yusuke wanted to happen but the fact that like uh ryuji was egging her on Hmm. so i see where people are coming from with that too but i also yusuke from what i i get of him he's not interested in anyone sexually he might even be asexual sure but uh yeah, so there there are parts of Persona Five that kind of made people mad, definitely, and I, I acknowledge that. You know, I gotta say, like the flip side of that is, I think you can criticize Persona Five, but the fact that it even opens itself up to this as a mass market game is actually pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's true. Like it depicts LGBT folks. It's actually kind of daring with like sexually charged stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a thing you would ever in a million billion years see in a Western developed game. You're, you're not going to see this in your average AAA action game. You're not going to see Mara. Pu- publishers are so risk averse that they're just like, nope, I'm running away. Run away fast. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's have a stand in for this, uh, this very complicated uh, topic about racial uh, divides and history. And here we'll make them elves <laughs> or something. Uh, no, like Persona 5 it does interesting things, but I didn't mean to get into this big old conversation about this thing. But yeah, I maybe I'll make that my summer project. Please do. <laughs> so, yes, I'd be, I think Persona Five conversations would be a lovely way to pass the summer. Yes, and also, um, it's like Persona Five and Witcher Three—they're like my twin projects. And every so often, I get I get sidetracked with other games, but yeah. I've I'm just determined to finish them someday when I'm not spending ninety hours on Monster Hunter World. You can do it, cat. All right, Nadia, you've officially finished Nino Kuni 2. You've played all the way through it. Uh, before we keep going, I should say that this is the spoilerific portion of the podcast. If you don't want to hear all of the Nino Kuni 2 spoilers, I suggest that you maybe put this podcast aside for a rainy day or when you finish Nino Kuni 2. But okay, let's keep going. Nadia, you finished Nino Kuni 2. What are your thoughts? Well, here's the, here's the thing about Nino Kuni 2. Like, I feel very much the same way you do. I, I'm kind of mad at it because I feel like it could be so much more, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna, but I'm gonna miss playing it. For I, I feel, I feel kind of weird about that. I feel almost like like I have Stockholm syndrome because even if I did keep playing it, there's literally nothing for me to do other than keep building my town and doing that. It's like okay, what's your reward for that? If if anything, 
Um, but here's here's what I finally nailed down. What kind of irritates me about this game? Uh, you have these these very serious topics about like labor exploitation and tyranny and every time you get to a, a a kingdom and you see oh there's a problem with like this this person is you know destroying their people they're they're making them work these terrible hours and there's strikes and union problems and all this other stuff and you're like oh, okay I, I can really get into this and then you find out that the, a bad guy was controlling the person the whole time and that's it and once the bad guy was he controlling them or was he just kind of there in the background manipulating them okay it's, so it's i know that clear. with the rat guy he was definitely controlling the the counselor yeah yeah because that's right mauser whatever Mausinger. his name is mausinger yeah yeah you think that it's him being controlled but in fact it's his uh counselor you're right you're right and the counselor was saying well basically the counselor you know, fed him lies and stuff like that, and Mausinger listened to the counselor instead of the king, who he was supposedly friends with. And uh, so, I guess the villain takes advantage of the negative emotions or the the greed or something, or something uh, or with something a particular right. re- leader, and then is able to control their hearts until, at such time, they summon their kingmaker or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just I feel like there's two different sto- it's two different teams writing this story, and as you say, one team really wanted that. Uh, happily ever ever after fairy tale sort of thing going on, and the other team said, uh, "We have interesting things to say about this." And the 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 this one moment that sums up this game so brilliantly, so perfectly, is right at the end, uh, where Dolaren, uh, after he uh, basically says, "Oh no, I did wrong," because of course he did, uh, and he has this actually this serious, poignant conversation with Roland about uh, Roland saying, like, you know. Uh, about his t- talking about his own world getting destroyed and saying I tried to prevent the tide from rolling in and I couldn't do it the tide sometimes it comes in no matter what you do and then Evan just pipes up like saying oh we can build another kingdom and it'll be even better than your old one and dude you know this guy had lost his kingdom that he loved number one because Dolaran spoilers was a king of this realm that got destroyed because two he fell in love with his kingmaker and apparently you shouldn't do that <laughs> and everything his the gods destroyed his realm and blah 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 so. Dolaran's basically torn in pieces because his love is gone, his kingdom is gone, he has no nothing to really fall back on, and Evan's like, oh, just build another kingdom. I did it, you can do it too. It's like, oh, kid, come on. He wanted to get his magical girlfriend back. He wanted to get his magical kingmaker so girlfriend So he stole back. everybody's souls. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, and then like he says to Roland, oh, you're just like me, you want to, re- you want to like bring, bring back everything you love, and... Roland's probably like, dude, it's not like I want to have, you know, sleep with a dragon, not like you. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about Roland. Um, I think Roland is probably one of the most central and most important characters in the game, and yet somehow he gets almost no screen time. Yeah, um, he had one super cool moment, and that was you finally get a flashback of, like, him standing in the ruins of, like, the city. And he sees his son, and his son runs over to Hobbit. Is that his son or his daughter? It's his son. Looks like a daughter to me. He mentioned several times his son. I never heard. I never what? saw him say anything about. Da- I'm sorry, but looks like a. He, he looks like a daughter looks a to little me. Bit, like androgynous, but um, yeah. So his son runs over and like hugs him and then like kind of dies in his arms and like uh, Roland's. I can't remember what Roland says to him, but the kid's like, "Oh, it's too late for that now." And he pulls back and his eyes are melting. I'm like, "Holy shit, uh, that's incredible!" And that was yeah. The those are moment. that's imagery right there. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. 
I wrote a whole article about this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should go read it on the site. Um, in which basically I, I pointed out that, so the game begins with a mushroom crowd cloud. Like it begins with a nuclear bomb hitting alternate New York, yeah. San Francisco thing, which is a, a great first image. It's great. It's really provocative, great hook. And then what is Roland shows up in this world and he kind of looks around and goes, Oh, that's funny. I'm younger. And also the world I was in blew up. And I'm a hot, uh, time to roll with it, I guess. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and I he said, does. Uh, well, like I said in the past, it seems like he, at first he kind of accepts the fact, maybe he's like, Oh, I'm dead. This is, this is, I'm just going to roll with this. But eventually he does kind of get his bearings. And he, even that, even when he gets his bearings, he doesn't really smarten up and say, Oh, Hey, um, what the hell? Yeah, no, the game never really focuses on him. Yeah. And I, I was sure that I was missing something. I was missing some kind of side quest. Yeah. Uh, but no, like mostly his role through the game is to be kind of the, I suppose, the the counselor, the, the guy who dispenses sage advice to Evan. It's like, I ran my own country. Just ignore the fact that it was nuked into oblivion. <laughs> I can picture him mumbling down under his breath. And Evan's like, what did you say? Oh, oh, nothing. And all of the focus is on Evan. And you see his conversations with, was it Dalaran? The kid with the, having the tea. Oh, that, and I knew that, that. That turned out to be um, his, uh, his son from the future. Oh, right. What the hell? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, do like the, I, I do like the image of Dalaran with his stupid serpenter hood sipping tea. That's pretty great, though. Yeah, they throw in a lot of weird elements into the story that are kind of like tertiary to the story and also unexplained, like the fact that Roland and Dalaran are connected. That was, okay, here's the thing, and this is something I was talking about with you on Slack. The first Nino Cooney, I think most people accept, was very much inspired by The Talisman, which is a, a book by Stephen King and uh, Peter Straub. And that's a story about a boy who wants to cure his sick mother, so he travels between our world and is called the territories, but it's basically a fantasy world that's very similar to to Nino Kuni 2's. I haven't played Nino Kuni, so I don't know how how fantasy that world is. Well, the original Nino Kuni was about a kid's mom dying. Yeah, yeah, and, and like dealing with grief and stuff. Yeah. So uh, I haven't played the the original Nino Kuni, so like I said, I don't know how close it is to Talisman, but I do know that whole bit with with the. Uh, Roland having a twin in the fantasy world was very similar to the talisman, which uh, states that everyone or most people have a quote unquote twin. Why is that important? I don't know. Why does that matter? Uh, Aside aside from the fact that it seems as if that was the explanation for why Roland ended up in the Nino Kuni in the first place. Yeah, they, they did not flesh it out. I'm not saying they fleshed it out. I'm just saying like they took this idea from either their first game or just ripped it straight from the talisman and, uh, which actually does have a reason for having twinners, but uh, I guess they thought it was cool. And uh, it was such a minor plot point. It really was that I completely forgot about it. <laughs> I was like, I remembered that Dalaran want like I remembered that Dalaran went and he w- had committed the grave div- sin of falling in love with his kingmaker, which had divine conferred upon him the divine right to rule. Which that's weird, but whatever. Yeah, and. He was punished, and he was real sad, and he decided to start sealing people's souls in order to bring everything back. Yeah. And then I think that it turns out that the king, when he finally gets the kingmaker back, like it turns out that she volunteered to become a 
a monster or something to that effect? Uh, basically, it's not very well explained, but the way I understand it is she tried to separate herself from her kingmaker powers and mm-hmm. become like kind of a more mortal being. And basically all that sort of kingmaker energy that was in her became the horned one, the monster that you that you fight. Oh, and okay. That just kind of, that's what kind of pissed off the gods, apparently. I see. So that was a thing. Yeah, that <laughs> all right. was certainly a thing. The upshot of all of that is that this guy is basically a cautionary tale for Evan. It's like, oh, it could all go wrong, my friend. Yeah, it doesn't it matter could. if you're a good king. You can make mistakes, and then the gods will come down and rain thunder upon your kingdom and wash it all away, and then you'll be stealing souls just like me. I don't even. It's funny because I didn't even get that impression at all. Which is like, okay, that would be that would mean something. That would be an important lesson, but. At the end of the game, it's just like I said, King, uh, Evan's like, oh, just make another kingdom. And then you see he rules over whatever the hell it is, Ding Dong, not Ding Dong Dell, uh, Evermore. And then his yeah. son, grown up, rules over uh, Evermore and quote unquote unites all the kingdoms because apparently there's still some out there that they, that they didn't get to. So Dalaran is like, oh, he, he's a mass as a tragic villain and a mirror to to evan essentially yeah and then roland is also presented as something of a cautionary it's like look at the two examples of how things went terribly terribly wrong right but uh, we we still don't know what happened to make things go terribly wrong in in roland's world just that there was a war well you said negotiations failed they sure did yeah the negotiations broke down i wasn't good enough to get peace and nuclear war, nuclear apocalypse broke out. I'm real sad about this. <laughs> but we don't see, we don't see that from him at all through the no. entirety of the game. If anything, he seems to be having kind of a blast. Yeah, he's having a great time. Like yeah, he's really enjoying himself. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm building a new kingdom. It's a well. The upshot of my of my article was basically that I think that a much more interesting story would have been him wondering like what's real and what's fake yeah absolutely is he dead yeah like mourning his kids like feeling regret and then also feeling well if i'm here i need to redeem myself from destroying my country and build this kingdom together and fellowship with these animals right with animal people yes and i think that could have been a really kind of moving story to be perfectly honest and and I think it would have been a great reflection on like today's politics, and it would have made I think the optimism of Nino Kuni two mm-hmm. ring a lot truer. I think absolutely. And look, I'm not a writer. I'm just saying that it strikes me as a missed opportunity, and I think it would have been much more in line with the legacy of Ghibli. No, I totally agree, and I I noticed you made that comparison in your article to The Wind Also Rises. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I feel like that's the thing that makes me so angry about Nino Kuni 2. It's not a terrible game that I can just write off and say, oh, whatever, that was trash. With a few adjustments, like, just to the characters, to the storytelling, it could have been a really fantastic game. But when you yeah. put such an emphasis on the story and shove it in your face and it's so bland, I'm going to get kind of mad about that. It's not like, say, playing Etrian Odyssey 5, where the story's totally in the background. It's something, it's just there for you to, like, you know, kind of get a laugh out of once in a while. The main, the main focus is the gameplay. Nino Kuni Two isn't like that. Nino Kuni Two, Nino Kuni Two wants you to sit there and pay attention and listen to what these people are saying, and they're not saying anything worth really listening to. Unfortunately, well, Nino Kuni Two's systems aren't actually that interesting. I think the castle building is definitely the best part of it. Yeah, I uh, even got bored of that after a while. 
admittedly, it was a bit of a grind um, because you're basically doing uh, what my partner would call a tap game. Yes, it where was. you're just going back periodically and saying, "Oh, I built up some more coins." Tap, Yay. tap, tap. <laughs> uh, and then steadily building up your castle, and it really annoyed the hell out of me that they gated the progress behind your castle being a certain level. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was actually a fairly major misstep. And then also making all of the quests fetch quests. Um, yeah, the the fetch the the secondary quests would have been such a great opportunity to get to know the rest of the cast who just basically do nothing through the entirety of the story, Roland included. Yeah, I think you nailed, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said you fe- like you play, you go through Neo-Kuni 2 feeling like you missed a subquest somewhere. And there is no subquest, it is not there. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not like there's nothing to do. I mean, no, there's no. lots of side quests. Oh, God, yeah. But they're all like, you know, oh, beat this monster, which is fine. I liked kind of beating up the tainted monsters. I, I, I like the battle system well enough. Uh, but there's just I liked it, but I liked it okay by the end. Yeah. Um, what was your party? Uh, I usually used a Roland as my first character, uh, and then Bracken, and then uh, uh, Leander. Although for the end game, I switched out. I switched Bracken for uh, Evan because like, he had to use that stupid sword that was yeah. didn't do much. So yeah, Evan was self evidently one of the strongest characters. So I went with Evan, Roland, and pink haired engineer lady. That's Bracken. And I, Bracken, okay, and I controlled her mm-hmm. for the most part. And what you could do is you could set up a healing force field right. uh, that would basically just give area of effect healing as long as you stay at, stood in that particular circle. And if you put it in front of a boss, it would heal you faster than they could actually really damage you. <laughs> and so I could wail away at even pretty strong enemies. And then while once I set up the healing force field, I would often switch over to Evan um, and just start going to town with uh, particularly powerful spells or something to that effect. Yeah, he has some good ones, but uh, I just liked, I found, I found I was most comfortable with Roland's sword play, so I just used that. And he had some really powerful skills that once he upgraded them. Roland is a, Roland is one of the best characters as well. Uh, yeah. Very, very easy to use. Um, so yeah, that's why I ended up going with the party that I did. Uh, it goes to show that how interesting the cast members were that I can barely remember their names. But. <laughs> and then again, I did, I couldn't remember who Naoto was from Persona 4. And she was yeah. one of my favorite characters. So there you go, right? Well, how long ago did you play Persona 4 versus how long ago did you play Nino Kuni 2? That, that is true. I played Persona 4 Golden. I finished it five years ago yeah, so. versus Nino Kuni 2, which I finished last month. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so here's what I'm wondering. For Nino Kuni 2 rec- re- reviewed pretty well. And I feel like I'm in the minority of people who are like, I'm, because a lot of people are praising it and saying that they really like it. And what am I missing? I, I don't know, because I'm kind of in the same, same field. And uh, to, to be totally honest with you, I think more people are feel the same way as we do than you think. Like I was looking around mm-hmm. on game FAQs and stuff like that, and people talking about what the game is lacking versus Nino Kuni One. Uh, I told you about the uh, the woman I buy my cat food from. If she happens to be listening to this, hi, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> I walked in the other day, and she's like, "Okay, Nino Kuni Two, what do you think?" And I'm like, I basically relate a lot of the stuff we've been talking about here. And she's like, "That's what I've been saying. Everyone says I'm crazy." She says she's like re- reading the reviews, saying, "What are these people getting that I'm not?" And she was a huge fan of the first one. So, yeah, Katie, same thing. She's just so disappointed in how it is. Well, K- 
Katie Katie has strong opinions. She um does. Katie runs very hot and cold on things, as we know. <laughs> um But when it comes to Nino Kuni too, um I'm going to posit that it's because it's pretty. It is. It's pretty. It's very, I mean, mostly pretty. I, I think the overworld is ugly. Sorry. I, I'm okay with the overworld. I, <sighs> it's, it's, uh, it clashes so it does badly. Clash. I will give you that. But, it really uh, does. I don't think it's too bad. Ah, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I, I hated the skirmishes. Oh, the skirmishes I, I thought the skirmishes awful. were terrible. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it's pretty it for is, the most part. Uh, yeah. The, the, the cell shading is very it's very nice. So that that's a big mark in its favor. Yes, absolutely. Um it's very digestible, goes down easy. Um it's kind of light and fun. Mm-hmm. The battle system isn't terrible. Yeah. Um and I I think the castle building mechanic is fairly well realized and fairly like fleshed out. And I know that like several of the views really called it out. And I was inclined to agree until I had to spend the last full five hours or so grinding. Uh, fetch quest in order to get to the final level so I can unlock the final act. Uh, you said that you had an easier time pacing it out. I did. Um, basically, I would go into the desert, uh, which uh, was full of enemies. I'd kind of beat them up, level up, and go back and collect my king's guild. So I found stuff to do. Although, um, first of all, there's a level four I never reached. I, I looked at that like you know, five thousand, five million king guilders. Never like happening. I, nope, I'm, I not just happen. there's no reason to go that there, high. That's the thing. There's no reason to do that. And it's funny when I was in the uh, areas where I was building up levels. And that's like in the cold region, the polar region, and the the desert region. I said, you know, it feels like something's supposed to be here, and they ran out of time. And I feel you like, think so. I really think so. I really think they ran out of time with this game because it had been already delayed a few times, and. Uh, it could be the reason why they really padded things out with the town building in the end and why yeah. there's just a lack of really meaningful quests. I think that's a really salient observation. It does feel like there's a lot of half-baked elements in this game. Yeah. yeah. And I think it explains a lot as to why they ultimately decided to gate the the castle so they could pad out the time a little bit and yeah. force you into the fetch quest. Yeah. And you're right, like, there's that polar area and also maybe the desert area that feel extremely empty, and it it feels like they're supposed to be like, oh, also go explore these. There's some stuff there, and it's kind of fun to go around with your airship, though there's not a lot there, there's and you get the there. sense that perhaps there are more kingdoms that were going to be there as well. Yeah, I definitely got that feeling. Uh, maybe one in the desert, one in the polar area. Um, I did notice the polar area had this huge battleship just crashed there, and I'm like, "Wow, what is this about?" But like a lot of it's things- actually set in the Xenogears universe. <laughs> God forbid. Actually, that'd be <laughs> awesome. But um, yeah, but like a lot. Evan things- Petty Whiskers, in fact, the the latest incarnation of Fei Fong Wong. Oh God, <laughs> why would you do that? I finally figured out the answer, the connection. <laughs> Anyway, continue, Nadia. Well, I was going to say this this huge battleship was crashed. I'm like, mm. can you do something with that? Because, I mean, it was taking up like half the map, just this thing. And it's funny. I was looking at the, the title screen when I finished the game, and it kind of scrolls past this big uh, war scene. I'm trying to remember if that had anything to do with the story. Just there's so much, so many elements there that just didn't gel. No, there's a background element going on with the story. It was like, once upon a time... These kingdoms were all at war, but then they weren't at war. Yeah. Uh, the end. And so, like, that's part of the backstory. Maybe that's why they had the big crash battleship to show, like, oh, yes, also these kingdoms were at war at one point. Right, right. But who the hell was controlling yes. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some idiots. Another 
Another aspect that I don't think is especially well fleshed out are the Higgledies. Yeah, um, I there are so many of them, and I just didn't mess around with them a lot, and I find myself just getting along just fine. I did mess around with them, oh. but I didn't find a lot of reason to do so. Right. Because they, they didn't do a good enough job of differentiating the skills. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, first of all, they all have weird names that you kind of have to look up like in mm. the menu. Uh, second of all, leveling them up is a pain in the butt because they each require a different kind of item. Yes, and the items are kind of annoying to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, though late in the game, you can basically craft them or buy them you from buy your town castle shops and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I had them leveled up to like level five or something to that effect. Or I leveled them up quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially the the dark energy Heagledy. <laughs> yeah, the, I had one uh, something like, I, I can't remember. The black name. hole Heagledy was actually pretty good. Um, okay, mine was called like something the wrong one. I'm like, hey, that's because you. Cool- that's a cool name. Because you could use its ability. Once you activated its ability, half the map would be taken up, would be hit with this black hole blast that would often, if an enemy was weak to it, it would just annihilate it. Oh, it damn. would just blow it off the map. Oh, I could have used that. Yeah. And then I had two cannon hingledies. Yeah, I had those. Yeah. Um, and something else. And, and a wind higgledy or a healing higgledy. That's what I had, the green yeah. higgledy. But I used the same higgledies for most of the game. Yeah, so did I. I, I changed that maybe a couple of times, <laughs> and I was fine. Uh, yeah. Can I say that I'm a little bit cheesed off by how the whole uh, betrayal subplot uh, went with uh, Roland? <laughs> it was so predictable, right? I mean... It was, it was so predictable. So, like, for background, there's a chapter where suddenly it's like... Oh, Roland is meeting with a mysterious stranger, and it appears that he is betraying Ding. Uh, he's betraying King Evan to join up with Ding Dong Dell, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, he's obviously not betraying Evan. No. And it, it was a good moment where it looks like he kills off one of the Sky Pirates, and you're like, oh, well, I wonder what he actually did because he obviously didn't kill this guy, but of course he tranquilized him. Yeah. Of course he was just using it to sneak into uh, Ding Dong Dell so that he could get, like, in cahoots with the rat guy, Mazinger. And it's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yes, this is this is really obvious. The, the thing that pisses me off about it is, number one, they took advantage of that Sky Pirate, Batu. They, they literally, part of, the, part of the plan, they tell him this to his face, is you had to be stupid enough to fall for it and get mad about it. And well, there was, like, a camera or something that was camera, watching them. Yeah, and it's like, okay, you guys... <laughs> First of all, you couldn't tell King Evan, hey, this is going to be our plan while the camera's watching, so just play along with us. But to tell this this poor Sky Pirate to his face that you're a stupid idiot and that's why you fell for this, ha ha ha, and he's just like, oh, gee, I guess you got me there. Yeah. It just kind of lends to that whole, these characters have nothing going on theory we're talking about. Yeah, but too, uh doesn't really have much of a story once he uh, decides to join up with Evan. He just becomes a guy He's a guy with a daughter who's also in the party. Yeah, who was also there. Who was also there. Uh, maybe Evan married her. Uh, yeah. To, uh, they kind of infer that, but uh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. I've thought a lot about this game, and I guess it stayed in my head for a while. Yeah. I want to I wanna observe that I gave this game a 3.5 out of 5, which means that I don't hate it. I just don't think that it's like anything especially amazing. And uh, I I think that's holds true more than ever and Mm -hmm. i think the thing that 
so when I when I finished the game and the credits rolled, I went into our Slack channel and I was just like waving my arms and going, "This game could have been amazing. This game could have been in my top five game of the year. Holy crap! I mean, it was it's pretty, and it I really like the castle building mechanics and the recruiting of the stuff. And if you just did a few things differently, mm-hmm. this game would have just been like really special." And as it is, it's mediocre. I'm going to forget that I played it in a year. Yeah. I'm probably never going to forget how angry I am about how mediocre it is, though. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm just so... I'm just, I said I'm not going to forget about how angry I am about how mediocre it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not angry that it's mediocre. I'm just annoyed that it felt like they were really onto something special here. And they just could not follow through on the execution. Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of yanked and, away from you with the last second. And I'm further baffled by why people like it so much, or at least critics. Uh, I'm baffled by the people who are making comparisons to Suikoden 2. Even the castle okay. building mechanic is nothing like Suikoden 2. What the hell are you people talking about? Uh, yeah. Suikoden. The Suikoden, I think the Suikoden is, uh, comparisons are really easy kind of surface level observations to make. Um, and maybe people can disagree with me, but like Sweek It In is, well, frankly, first of all, it has multiple endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, uh, the castle building, if I recall correctly, is really nothing like it is the way no. it is in Nino Kuni 2. Not at all. You don't, you don't build your castle so much as you, uh, yeah, you do recruit people into it, but, you, mm-hmm. but those people are in your party. They're part of the story. Yeah, and the, uh, part of the, half the fun is figuring out how to recruit them, whereas exactly. in Nino Kuni 2, you're either completing fetch quests or you're basically buying them. Yeah. <laughs> from a merchant (laughs) because because you complete these fetch quests for this one exchange and in in return you get all these points and then you inevitably spend all those points on new people who you then go and meet and bring into your castle yeah 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 so i mean it's nothing like suikoden where every single character in that game every single member of the 108 stars of justice or whatever it is stars of destiny was that it yeah stars of destiny yeah i did it uh yeah no they all are fairly interesting characters in their own right and they kind of bring their own texture to it um i don't really remember anything about the characters that i recruited there was one character uh their side quest was he was a knight working for Ding Dong Dell, he was oh, a rat knight. Grim, yeah. I, I never beat the monster that was required to recruit him because that yeah. thing just murdered me. I took it out and managed to beat it. Um, and I managed to get him into my party. And he wasn't anything special in the actual village or anything. And once they're in the castle, they don't contribute at all like because they're not in your party or anything. No. But I did like... he was That, that moment was... a at least distinctive to me because it wasn't that I was getting five flowers. I was actually fighting an enemy and he seemed to have a tiny little bit of a story where he was like, I am ready to die because I betrayed everybody and it sucks and I'm sad. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, well come in. You do not, you need not die to this monster. You may come and join us. So yeah, that was, uh, I will say uh, there was one character I liked Muriel. I can't remember how I recruited her. I just like the fact that, she ran one of the units in my uh, skirmish parties mm. that was called the Sisters of No Mercy. And I'm always mm-hmm. up for a Sisters of Mercy reference, so they get an A-plus for that. I wish that Nino Kuni 2 hadn't had all of the extra world things, which I know that's the point of Nino Kuni. But I think, so in trying to ex- basically say, we had this fairy tale ending in which everybody was united in Nino Kuni, and then extend that to the real world, it feels so pat. 
mm-hmm. and unsatisfying and frankly pretty frustrating in light of how complex like issues are in real life. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of Gundam Wing. <laughs> a show in which <laughs> yes. they literally accomplish their aim at the end of the show of no of all, the end of all war. Oh. Where Relina is able to Relina, who's the main like one of the main protagonists and the love interest of Hero. Yes. Basically decides that they're going to put away, put down all arms. She believes in the philosophy of total pacifism and everybody buys in. Sure. And at the end, there's a big fight with a guy who kind of does that. In fact, like Warren is very chivalrous and this fight goes on for like three episodes and then they beat him and, and that's the end. And everybody's like, hooray, total pacifism has come. The world is united. The end. And you're like, Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) and then in endless waltz uh they're getting ready to shoot the gundams into the sun because they don't need them anymore i mean that's a good idea oh it's kind of like but i'm i'm willing to almost accept it because gundam wing first of all gundam wing isn't in the is it isn't in the proper uc chronology so it's its own side story (laughs) and i'm just willing to accept its internal logic because it's kind of goofy and fun to watch but the second that nino kuni 2 goes oh, yeah, we have this incredibly optimistic fairy tale Aesop going on about how we can all put aside our differences and work together. The second you can say, and also, this is exactly how we can solve all of our problems in the real world, too. That's kind of where I part ways with it, because the first image you see is literally a nuclear bomb going off. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And here, the thing is, you do get people like Batu telling Evan a few times, your idea is kind of crazy. It's never going to work. You, you have to be realistic about this. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to make the best kingdom ever. It's gonna, everyone's going to be happy. And just the guy's speaking reason here. Like, there's actually a scene, one of those moments where you think they have something, where you, you think they have something serious to say. And that's uh, at the, near the very end of the game where all the, the nations are gathering to fight the horned one. And they're not getting along. Like, you know, the cat people are fighting with the fish people who are fighting with the, whoever, the humans. <laughs> and then Evan just gets up there and like gives this like, Today we celebrate our Independence Day speech, except far, far yes. worse. And everyone's like, hooray! And, and that's the end of that. I'm like, oh. And in point of fact, we can all work together. Yay. We love you, Evan. <laughs> yeah, no, I had also completely forgot about that scene because, I mean, yeah, you're right. It was kind of a stirring thing to see everybody coming together uh-huh. to fight an existential threat. But that's often how this kind of thing goes. Um. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that, you know, Kuni 2 does a really great job of selling me on its optimism. And I've actually kind of been wrestling a little bit with that because I think its optimism is inherently worthy. I think it's an inherently worthy message. Yeah. Uh, and I, as I wrote in my article, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Yeah. I love Star Trek. And the whole notion of Star Trek is that we will come through fire and pain, but in the end, we will survive and we will come together and we will be better. And like, this is just the basic conceit. Uh, we will put aside our differences. And it's kind of the same thing as Nino Kuni 2, but I guess I'm willing to accept it more in the world of Star Trek a yeah. little bit because it's more about, like, this is how we got better. Now the, now let us tell some, like, let's do lots of Aesops on the human condition yeah, and, yeah. and look at stuff now, whereas Nino Kuni 2 is basically saying, this is the path to how to get things better. Just put aside your differences. Yeah, like, it's that easy. It's just that easy. And uh, that's the thing. Like, I feel like there's a good message. Like, there's a good optimistic message there that I think everyone could use right now. Um, 
but it doesn't feel like there's a, there's any sort of sacrifice or or pain or anything like that going on except for maybe what Roland went through, but we don't know what he went through because the game won't tell us. Yeah, the, literally the final scene is him f- fading away and going, oh, well, I guess I'm going back to my post-apocalyptic hellscape. <laughs> uh, maybe I can rebuild. Yeah. And I was just like, huh. It would have been interesting if it had just left it on that note and you yeah. can la- leave you to wonder if he'd ended up in Mad Max. Uh, we live, we die, we live again. But... No, uh, the final scene is him back in his limo, and instead of nukes, we see fireworks because he's heading to the, was it, the United Nations Let's Unite the World Conference? Yeah, apparently uh, everyone's going to set aside their differences and sign a treaty, like, just like... I can't tell if he, I can't tell if he went back and managed to actually get the peace negotiations right, or if they actually managed to rebuild the entire world in his lifetime. I highly doubt they rebuilt his world because that glimpse of the, the kind of nuclear hellscape they give you at the end of the game infers that everything is gone. And I was actually kind of, I thought it'd be kind of like, not exactly funny, but interesting if he got teleported back to his, the, the actually just the destroyed world. Cause he said to Evan, um, I might be just going back to death and pain, but I'll rebuild. And it's like, okay, so you get teleported back to your, this nuclear hellscape and you roll up your sleeves, then you die of radiation poisoning. But at least you <laughs> tried. Reminds me of Rick and Morty, where they accidentally create the Cronenbergian world, except for Morty's family, who are just living in this post-apocalyptic world with Cronenbergian horrors. (laughs) And then I think it was like two seasons later, they end up back in the Cronenbergian world, and seemingly in the space of two years, the family has become like, basically cave people. (laughs) (laughs) Who Like, they don't even talk, they're just gigantic and terrifying, and also feast on the flesh of the Cronenberg people. And it was kind of messed up, and which is all to say that I kind of love the idea of Roland beaming back to his world, and then in a couple of years, he's basically gone full uh, Mad Max, uh, what was it, witness me, witness! <laughs> I, would, I would actually love that to be Nino Kuni 3, which I'm actually wondering if we're even going to get a, new, a Nino Kuni 3, because I don't know if this one's selling It reviewed well. well. Said it, I don't know if it's sold well. Yeah, no. that's what I'm it, Good reviews. Don't know if it's sold. Yeah, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Mike was looking at the charts and he's like, I don't see Nino Kuni here at all, which is never a good sign. Yeah, I mean, it was on Steam. Um, it was on various Steam lists, but it, yeah, I know it popped up. It, it got very favorable reviews, but then it almost immediately disappeared. And. Mm. And that was that. Wasn't there a big game that came out kind of right on top of it? I think it was. I mean, well, I probably doesn't help that Fortnite came just exploded right at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. Fortnite Mobile really exploded at the same time, and also Sea of Thieves came out, right. and some other stuff came out right around that time. So it was kind of a busy period for Nino Kuni Two to come out. Yeah, it's a little. It is too bad because it's not like I want the franchise to die. I want them to just try again and do better. Nah, I don't care. Well, okay, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I am always happy when more JRPGs are coming out, yes. especially big budget JRPGs. And I think there is an instinct to celebrate these big budget cel- JRPGs. And the people who reviewed them are by and large JRPG apologists, yes. uh, myself included. Um, I don't, but I, on the other hand, I'm not inclined to give a JRPG a free pass just because of its JRPG. If yeah. anything, I'm going to be harder on it because I, I play these games a lot and I know what makes a good JRPG. At least I, I'll, at least I like to think so. I have I very so. specific opinions on this front. Um, 
And so I'm happy to, I would be happy to see it come back. But on the other hand, level five has a mixed track record they for really the most do. part. Uh, Dark Cloud 2 was uh, rightfully considered a classic of the PlayStation 2. Uh, what was the name of the game that they made on the PlayStation 3 that ended up basically being an MMORPG? Oh. That one wasn't super great. Yeah, and there was the one on the DS, Fantasy Life, which was, that was okay. I enjoyed yeah. that, but it wasn't, it was another kind of like, a little bit empty, like, you know, Goonie 2. Dragon Quest Eight and Dragon Quest Nine were both excellent. Yeah, they did well on those. I think in part because they got a lot of guidance from yeah. uh, the Dragon Quest folks. I, I think that really helped. And uh, Nino Kuni 1 uh, it has certainly its fervent fans. I know that Katie loves that game. She just yeah. really, really likes it. And it's also its fervent detractors. And now we have Nino Kuni 2. Yeah. And also, their attempt at Gundam was probably the biggest disaster the franchise has had. In, um, <laughs> wow, I didn't know they attempted Gundam. Yeah, they did. They did a thing called Gundam Age or Gundam Age, as it's uh-huh. called in Japan. And that was such a monumental disaster that it might have set the entire franchise back like a Ooh. decade. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, no, it, it was real bad. Because think about how people reacted to the Star Wars prequels over here and, uh-huh. then, do, and then multiply that by about 10 times over in Japan to Oof. the way people reacted to that show. They're like, you are murdering my childhood. How dare you? Apparently, by a lot, like people who watched it were like, eh, it's, it's all right, I guess, until the end in which people were like, screw this game, screw, the, or sorry, screw this show, <laughs> screw it, screw it, screw it, this is horrible. Wow. And the models were a total disaster, nobody wanted them. Uh, and the models are ultimately what keep a show alive in the mind of everybody. So, right. Gundam Age, which was supposed to be the next Gundam 00 or the next Gundam Seed, had absolutely no legs. And it sent Bandai Namco, like, scrambling mm-hmm. to go back to the well of, like, the UC stuff and to come up with new things to try and kind of to fix the mistakes that were made. But, yeah, no, Level 5. And it, there's, uh, it, yeah, well, level it was five real had, bad. They had a hit with um, Yokai Watch for a while there, and I think that kind of yeah. faded out. Yeah, Yokai Watch. Uh, I know Bob really liked Yokai Watch. Yeah. I did not care for it. I found it very kitty. I mean, pretty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting, and like I like we talked about, I think with him on the podcast is that um, I understand why it would appeal to Japan, but not so much American kids because the monster designs are just literally yokai, and I could see why that would be appealing to Japanese kids, but not so much American kids who are like really used to like really cool Pokemon and Digimon and stuff like that. Well, uh, I think the difference between yokai watch and Pokemon is that Pokemon is has always been a game as a platform, as in. It's a game that you play over a long period of time. It understood game as platform before, long before anything, really. That's that's the the brilliance of it. It was so ahead of its time, yeah, for what yeah. it was, and it was because it was made by RPG nerds. Yes, giant giant nerds. They're called game freak because they were game freaks, quite literally. And game yeah, they put on a fanzine and everything. Oh, they wow. made Pokemon. And they made it deep, and they put a lot of underlying numbers under the hood, and that attracted the attention of the hardcore base. Yeah, and kind of the they thing. were the ones who kept following the series over time. Yeah. Whereas Yokai Watch was always uber casual. Yeah, that's true. Uber Although- uber casual. You got to have something for people to bite into long term, or else they're just going to disappear. I keep have I keep falling for whenever Bob says, "Oh, this is better than Pokemon," and then I play it, and I'm like, "This isn't better than Pokemon." Like it's like game after game after game, he does this to me, and I keep falling for it. I got to stop. 
Bob doesn't like Pokemon. No, though, he doesn't. I realize Bob that doesn't, now. Bob doesn't like... Bob only likes Monster Hunter when it comes to the super hardcore in-depth right. uh, RPGs. He is not a Pokemon fan. And frankly, I'm kind of burned out on Pokemon myself. But I play that 100 times out of 100 over Yokai Watch. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, Yokai Watch, Yo-Kai is, Yo-Kai Watch is for babies. <laughs> is what I'm basically saying. I'm not actually saying that. I, I know that there are people who like dig the world and dig the creature designs. And like I said, it is pretty, but... There's a reason that it ran out of gas. Yeah, that it really that There's did. just not that much to it. Yeah, I think even Japan is not that interested in it anymore. It might be getting your resurrection. And you say you're tired of Pokemon, but when they when Pokemon comes out on the Switch, you're going to hit the ceiling. You're going to go through the ceiling. Oh, oh God, yes. Especially if they do it right. Yeah. Which um, I actually, well, I mean, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, level five will be fine. They are an entertainment empire at this point, and which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. I think Nino Kuni is probably done. It's too bad. Um, I uh, is it? I think it is because I, I just look back at the game at, at Nino Kuni Two and say you could have been so much better. And it would have been so easy to. I feel like if you had just delayed it a, a little bit longer, give me another year. I don't care. Just they had already delayed it twice. I know that's the problem. But just God, just give me a story worth following. It could have been done. You had these characters. You had these ideas that started good and had my interest. And then. Oh, nope, Serpenter from G.I. Joe is a real villain here. That's a real problem. (sighs) It's a nice comfort food RPG. It is, but even good comfort food RPGs give me a a good story and and good characters. Mm. Evan is like the most boring character in the world. I've certainly seen worse stories than this one. Okay, that's fair enough. I I agree with that, but... (laughs) It goes down easy. It it really... It's a super lightweight RPG. Like, it's a fairy tale, as I said in my original kind of, like, review discussion. But I don't even feel like it's legitimately a fairy tale, because it wants to be a fairy tale, but it also wants to be serious. And it's just these conflicting stories are are getting me so, like, stop it. Eh? Uh. it, Yeah. Anyway, Nino Kuni 2 does not get the Blood God seal of approval. Sorry. We're really sorry sorry for, like bringing people down but if the game's not selling well i don't think we're the only ones yeah well if you have additional thoughts uh, leave a note in our show notes on the website or send me a message uh, on twitter at the underscore catbot or at nadia at nadia oxford and let us know how you feel about nino kuni 2 i wish we had i wish we had talked more about mausinger <laughs> Because that was actually kind of an interesting thread. The uh, his uh, betrayal and all that. Yeah, just in the sense of they tried to track tackle racial issues. Oh, and they kind of flubbed that too. Like they flubbed everything else. What were they trying to say with that? <sighs> what are they trying to say with any of the game? Um, that racial issues can be solved if we just put aside our differences. Yeah, uh, years of oppression. Uh, and li- in, in in fact, the cat monster, uh, the cat king, wasn't wasn't being mean to them. He had their best interests in, at heart. Yeah, and he wrote it in a diary, so that makes it okay. He wrote in the diary that he believes in Mousinger, and that that fixes everything.
All right, Nadia, last week we did the top five legendary weapons in RPG history, and of course, uh, this one seemed to spur a lot of interest and discussion. Lots of people were coming out with their own favorite legendary weapons. Here are a few. Brian Clark says, I was playing Earthbound on my 3DS a couple years ago on my lunch break and decided to try for the Sword of Kings. Took me five minutes. Ooh. Still kind of amazes me. Oof. Yeah, good job. I hope you went out and bought a lottery ticket after that. I hate you, Brian Clark. <laughs> I hate you. you. You're the same person who got the lucky egg from Chansey on the first try, didn't you? Oh, right. The lucky egg. Uh, Nuclear Vomit says, My legendary weapon vote goes to the Axe of the Blood God. How did Cat obtain this weapon? Did she sell her soul? The axe is all-powerful, but it comes at a cost. Unfair labor practices. I feel sorry for Nadia's unpaid overtime. Keep your head up. (laughs) Drachmalia says, one, her- one words, Vihander. Glad to see my buddy represented here. That, of course, is the big old sword that we were talking about from Dark Souls. Yes. Uh, Korhagen says, he mentioned the Fat Man, but didn't mention its legendary version, the experimental MIRV. This is a unique Fat Man that fires eight mini nukes at once. Ooh. Also, another legendary weapon that immediately came to mind is the Umbra Sword from Oblivion. So, can I just mention something about the Fat Man? Uh-huh. I always end up getting like 10 of them in Fallout 4 and I always put them away and just never use them because A, they're extremely heavy and so not really worth covering, com- carrying around and B, because their explosion is so big that often I end up killing myself. <laughs> well, they are nuclear missiles, aren't they? I think the only way that they're really useful is if you walk in, if you're, you want to clear out a maybe a building or something right and you just launch a nuke and just take out the 10 super mutants who are hiding inside the door because that's why you would do it why do you need eight because you're not going to use it on a death claw because the death claws is going to come and f you up if you even if you fire like a nuclear missile at them if you shoot a nuclear missile at it probably it'll come running at you and you'll be so close that you will end up dying from the explosion. Oh, Deathclaws are terrifying. Them and Mirelurks. Mirelurks scare the shit out of me. Well, Nadia, uh, we got some corrections on the Masamune versus the Murasame. Yes, I got a few on Twitter myself. Talrain says, a few notes about the Masamune. First, it's not the evil sword. Nadia was thinking of the Murasame. The two swords are rivals, and the Masamune is the peaceful good one. Incidentally, both Murasame and Masamune were actual smiths, and I had the great pleasure of seeing Katana forged by each of them a few years ago when Japan moved one of his exhibits to New York. Oh, that's actually really cool. That is cool. Masamune's Katana was basically perfect-looking, almost serene, while Murasame's did have a hint of evil to it. Ooh, was it glowing? As for, as for the games, Masamune is in every Final Fantasy up through 7, and it's the most powerful sword in the game in both 1 and 2. It's demoted to best of its kind in FF3, it's Edge's best weapon in FF4, and it is the legendary katana in FF5. It appears in FF6, but was originally called the Aura and wasn't particularly amazing, as there were two better katana available. Sephiroth's Masamune was the first one that had a unique look, e.g. being super long, and the sword has appeared sporadically in the game since he wielded it. Speaking of the uh, Masamune, if I'm not mistaken, in Final Fantasy IV you get it from uh, what they called... The name of the monster, it was, in the, it was in the Lunar Core, originally called, like, you know, some sort of Dark Leviathan. But in the original translation, they called it the Ogopogo, which is a Canadian monster. A Canadian lake monster <laughs> from it's BC. Ogopogo. It's called Ogopogo. I had no idea that. Yeah. Interesting. There you go. There's uh, a trivia. 
Talrain also says there's one amazing legendary weapon that wasn't mentioned in the pod, Black Sword from Ultima 7. You forge it in the Forge of Virtue expansion and bind a demon within it. The sword is very powerful. You can talk to it, and it has a special few special powers. Best of all, you can command it to kill Lord British, who's otherwise invincible. <laughs> of course you can. It also plays a pretty large role in Ultima 7 Part 2, but mostly being the Avatar Virtue and wielding a black sword with a demon in it is just kind of inherently awesome. That is pretty good. Uh, Muchan says, don't know if this counts or not, but I personally love the Ultima spell in FF2. It's a very story-heavy spell, like Masamune as being the greatest spell in the world and needed to defeat the great evil of the world. And when you finally get it, it turns out it's completely bugged, so it doesn't really do any damage. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> so Final this Fantasy, is fun- This even. is the Famicom version. So this great spell, you spend hours getting turned out to be extremely worthless. Oh, that's and it great. Wasn't really, and it wasn't really meant to be worthless. It was just bad coding. So I just found it to be really damn funny and legendary. And that is hilarious, because that's happened so much in, in old fi- NES Final Fantasy games. Just, like, these things that are supposed to work just do not work. Uh, Max Bebo... Uh, defends the Dark Sword, saying that, well, it has been nerfed pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> and also adds, the Rainbow Sword was probably my favorite. As mentioned, the critical hit, swing yes. and Chrono leaping at the enemy instead of just walking is probably still the most satisfying critical hit in the game. Absolutely. Any game. Although Masamune would easily win if you could just have it shoot lasers into space and slice up mountains open in battle and not just in cutscenes. <laughs> I fall away. Hulu says, I mentioned the chainsaw from FF Legend when replying to the tweet asking for the best weapons, and that's still a great sword and a bit of a joke, but now I'm leaning toward Golden Sun's Soul Blade. When the second strongest attack based on pure attack stat, its Megiddo Unleash effect guarantees a times three multiplier. This is a much better unleash than the Dark Sword's added damage effect, making it the most powerful sword in the game. Unfortunately, it can only be equipped by Venus Elemental Adepts meaning it's just Isaac, Felix, and Matthew. It's less powerful in Dark Dawn than the Lost Age due to the third game's changes, only making Megiddo the most powerful of the four Unleashed effects the Soul Blade has in that game. Still a very good sword, and actually plot-relevant now. Oh. And Satellite of Love says, it's interesting how far we've been out from guild-based progression in MMOs that the idea of Thunder Fury as the guild's weapon is so odd and strange, referring to World of Warcraft. All right, so yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one, and we'll probably do more lists like it yeah, going forward. So. Another thing that we're going to finally wrap up is next week we're going to finally wrap up Cosmic Star Heroine. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we, we promise. We've been promising that for ages, but uh, even though I don't think we're going to finish it, I do think that it is important to put a bow on it at mm-hmm. least, so that we can move on with our lives. Yeah, it's yeah. time. It's time to move on, Nadia. Got to get that stuff done. Got to get it done. Yeah. And then, we can, and then we can decide on the next game to, uh, for you to tackle. Yeah, it's actually funny. We, I didn't really expect us to wind up effectively doing a Nino Kuni 2 report, but we did. We sure one. did, didn't we? We, we, I mean, we? we had things to say about Nino Kuni 2. Yeah, we probably could have touched a little more on uh, Mausinger yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, talking about uh, all of the racial chaos of Ding Dong Dell between the cats and the rats. Yeah, and how it all got solved because they found a diary that said, I believe in Mousinger, and that made everything better. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine that? It'd be one way to solve our problems. Like that, uh, uh, that Lin- so was it Malcolm X finds a diary entry from... Um, Somebody like some like notorious uh, racist president that just basically goes, 
I totally believed in Malcolm X. Ah, oh, at last, okay. it all makes great. it better. My you, people weren't. Everybody, he like everybody was. It was just a miscommunication. We weren't actually thrown into the ghettos. We weren't thrown into the ghettos. We weren't living in sewers like where monsters are. All right, Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please subscribe us, rate us, rank us, review us. Tell us how awesome we are because we love to hear from you. We love hearing your thoughts on the podcast, and of course, we have the show notes on the website where we have our conversations about the most recent episode as i already mentioned follow us on all of the social medias i'm at the underscore catbot nadia's at nadia oxford us gamer net is the twitter feed to follow and also check us on twitch we stream for a couple hours every week on tuesday as i said next week we will be wrapping up cosmic star heroine and i'm sure we'll find something else to it to finish up maybe we'll have another evergreen question because we're heading into the summer and it's going to be about time to start uh finding stuff that can carry us through the the lean summer months as yeah. it were because well, e3 i'm sure will give us some things to talk about oh yeah yeah there's definitely going to be some stuff to be talking about in about a month or so mm, so please oh look God. forward to that yeah yeah uh there's some things coming around that i'm hmm, uh, some maybe some stuff that we've been waiting a very long time for so uh, with that teaser please look forward to it in any case, I've been Kat Bailey and for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening to us rant about Nino Kuni 2 for 30 minutes. It was fun. And until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>